Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story I'm dying to hear about. This was one that wasn't even across my radar. What is up, Binkley? I have a story here that I think really illustrates how politicians or what politicians think about the intelligence of their voting base. A U.S. House candidate in Oklahoma has apologized after reports that she became intoxicated at a Valentine's Day weekend sleepover for middle school age girls and then berated several of the children and vomited into a hamper. That's not even the worst of the story. Democrat Abby Broyles told a local news station that she had an adverse reaction after drinking wine and taking sleeping medication given to her by a friend that caused her to hallucinate. She says she doesn't remember anything that happened until she woke up and was throwing up in a hamper. I'm going to stop for a moment and speculate real quick. Based on that description and based on a statement by one of the moms who said that Broyles showed up with a couple of bottles of wine, which she apparently drank too much of. This is according to Broyles herself later on. This sounds like what happens when someone drinks too much and then takes Ambien. They do crazy stuff. They're not saying what the sleeping medication was that she took. That could be because it was said that it was given to her by somebody else. So if it is Ambien and they say that, then both Broyles and whoever gave it to her could get into trouble. Again, I'm just speculating about that, but that's what this behavior sounds like. Now, the reason that she was at the party was because she was invited there by one of her old law school friends who is the mom of one of the girls. And here are some of the specifics of what she's being accused of. Then I'll tell you what her response is. A 12-year-old girl at the party told local news that Broyles told her that she wasn't going to be as successful as her when she grew up. The 12-year-old went on to say that we were all sitting around and she's going around the circle saying rude things that would end with effer and saying F you to all of us there. Really rude things, the 12-year-old said. She said, my friend has acne and she had been talking about her acne early in the evening and then Broyles called her an acne effer and then that girl ran upstairs crying. Later, one of the girls attempted to return a pair of eyeglasses to Broyles that she believed belonged to her. When asked if those glasses were hers, Broyles allegedly said, no, they are the Hispanic effers in reference to one of the girls at the sleepover. Now, I want you to, what if Marjorie Taylor Greene had called a 12-year-old girl a Hispanic effer? What would the headline here be? It would include racist it would have racist, racist, Nazi, whatever in the headline. That is not mentioned at all in any of these headlines because this is a Democrat. Now, before Broyles apologized, air quotes apologized, the mom of one of the girls tweeted that she is disappointed in Broyles for not yet having reached out to the other moms to apologize. She said, for someone who pontificates to be pro-woman, I'm disgusted by your behavior and find it appalling that you couldn't understand why the parents are angry over this. This is from Abby's campaign page that I just looked up. One of the first things you see, it says, Abby has no time for the radical right. She's a lifelong Oklahoman dedicated to fighting for our kids. Maybe they meant to leave a word out. Maybe it's fighting our kids. They intended to be. But her platform is on fighting for kids. And she's at this party cussing out these kids, something that she has not denied. How is she responding to all of this? Well, at first, she denied even being at the party. However, photographs of her drinking wine at the party next to the children prove otherwise, as well as text messages between her and the parents and eyewitness statements. So she is changing her tune. Now, what do you do? 
as a Democrat or any politician, when you are in a crisis like this, you turn yourself into the victim of it. And that's exactly what she has done. That's how she's responded. She's taken to Twitter, basically, and you can read her Twitter thread in the show notes, to make herself out to be the victim, saying that she is under attack by the right, saying what Oklahoman hasn't had too many drinks on a Friday night, saying she is going to take some time to work on her mental health, but is staying committed, and she has no intent on dropping out. This is her apology. This is one of her statements. I want to say I'm sorry from the bottom of my heart. I apologize for any hurt or damage or trauma that my behavior, when I didn't know what I was doing, caused. I'm deeply sorry. The things I am accused to have said are not who I am. They're not a reflection of my beliefs at all. It's clear this is a media smear campaign and politically backed, and I won't stop fighting for Oklahomans, and she says she has no intention on dropping out. I want to point out a couple of things here. One, They say all the kids deleted video of this. They made them delete video. And yet she is still not denying it. That tells me that it's plausible enough to her that this happens, that it's probably happened before. So this seems to be a pattern of behavior from this person. And the fact that she is still running says a lot about what she must think about the intellect of her voting base. Think about it. She gets hammered at a sleepover for 12-year-olds, tells them that they will never be as successful as her, makes fun of one of these kids' acne, calls another one a Hispanic effer, makes them cry, and yet she's still running for Congress. She's still running on a platform of fighting for children. You must think your voting base is stupid. And then to tell them she's the victim of this. This is the audacity that politicians have. They think they know that it's tribal. They know that people have a short memory. They know that they could still run. This woman could very well be in Congress. She finished second in the Senate race in 2020 in Oklahoma. She was at 32 percent to, I think, 50 percent to the Republican. But this was the candidate that they were backing. Now, maybe they'll try and find somebody else. But right now she is sticking in there. And this is how little politicians think of the public right here. Well, she sounds really delusional herself about herself. Like this seems like it comes from her. And I wonder if they are going to now that it is absolutely positively national news distance from this from her. And she's got to bow out. That is a possibility, but right now she's standing firm and she has made it clear the issues that she's going to use, which is going to be the mental health, taking time for mental health. I'm under attack by the right. Everybody has a little too much to drink. Is there any chance that this whole thing is like a a PR stunt in some crazy way? I was thinking about that. Either this is a very bold, coordinated (laughs) psyop or she really, really pissed off some moms because one of these people donated to her campaign the person's house who it was it was her friend right i think it's legit there might be some stuff that it might have been you gotta have your you know when you read this they might have known that she does that and they might have put her in that situation but to put your kids through that i don't know there's probably more to this story for sure Wow. The fact that that she doesn't deny it and there's no video proof of it, at least as of now, unless they're holding it from her, tells me that it's like she probably has a pattern of this behavior. And I think that's that's not that's not a politically motivated attack. That's relevant information for a candidate that's running for office that you need to know. So and you're putting some speculation in there, which I respect is totally fine. But we will let's make a commitment to follow up on this story as details uh, fill in those blanks. Yes. Yes. I definitely will follow up on that. Okay. Uh, Okay, so I'm so glad we started with that because it seems like, I mean, I could hardly get any story that wasn't Ukraine oriented in my hopper here. So I actually have a couple of those and a couple of others. And I'm going to start with my Ukraine update slash angle, what I think's going on, some of the details there. And then the deepest dive of the day, 
uh, I pulled on one of the threads in today's Wall Street Journal way took me way back to the 70s. So I'm going to give you a little deep dive on that. But before all of that, uh, I just want to talk about what um, is in the news. So if you know what's happening uh, yesterday, we told you that Putin recognize the independence of two oblasts in the east of Ukraine. It's uh, Luhansk and Donetsk, and together they're called the Donbass region. Now, the people who live there, the kind of Russian separatists, I will now openly call them, although prior to this, they weren't claiming to be separatists. What they wanted to be were semi-autonomous, especially because they have their, they are Russian Orthodox and they speak Russian. And the Minsk agreements allowed them to do that, to set up their own governments, to still be part of Ukraine. But the Minsk agreements were not adhered to. And Putin, to my amazement, just recognized it and went in. He just went in and, uh, and, a quarter of that area is firmly held by the Russian section of the place, but a lot of it is not. So that's where it's disputed. And the way that they're talking about this, a couple of themes are coming up that are your classic themes of when somebody does something that you want to act like he has no reason to do. Now, I remember, actually, I, the reason that this kind of makes sense in a way, I remember when... Yanukovych was being taken out by a coup by Victoria Nuland, the assistant secretary of state. He was the democratically elected Ukrainian president in 2014. This Putin told him, don't don't let this nonsense emerge in the square in the Maidan. Don't let these protests get violent and out of control. You've got to take a grip. You got to get a grip. And the guy didn't. He wanted to back down. He didn't want to seem aggressive. And then he was on the run and charged with murder, even though it came out that snipers, I think Israeli snipers said, admitted to starting to shoot people and he got blamed for it. So Putin clearly has the philosophy that at a certain point, you can't keep backing up. You have to actually stand up for yourself. And even though you didn't want to, and he even said this was something that I guess some of his aides said not too far ago in November, he said, Russia's recent warnings are felt and produce a certain effect, a certain tension. It's necessary that they maintain this state as long as possible. The people on the other side, meaning the West he said, so it won't occur to them to create some kind of conflict for us on our Western borders that we don't need. So as late as November, he was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Now, he's also made it clear that he can't have Ukraine be part of NATO. He cannot have encroachment towards Russia and that he expects them to live up to the Minsk agreement. Okay. So those are all good reasons, and I think I understand what happened. But in the journal today, there were several articles on this, and each dedicated to a different perspective to kind of dismiss any kind of rational thought here. One was an article, Putin went crazy during the lockdowns. Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) As though he were locked down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it didn't say lockdown. It said the pandemic, but whatever. So let me just read a couple of quotes because it's important to read the quotes out of the journal because it's pure propaganda. Says Mr. Macron noticed a change in Mr. Putin's demeanor when speaking to him on the phone over the course of the pandemic. Quote, 
He tended to talk in circles, rewriting history, a close aide to Mr. Macron said. That that has been the theme in the news, rewriting history. Colbert did a whole segment on it. That's what his monologue was labeled, rewriting history. I saw article after article about Putin's history of Ukraine is not very true and is false just everywhere. There's a major theme. Maybe that's why when you go to the Washington Post, if you read an article more, to the, more than a year older, it says this article is more than a year old because they are rewriting history. Yeah, they are rewriting they history. They really are. So it says Mr. Putin then deepened the concerns, the French official said, with, quote, a historical political speech that was operational, accusatory and mixed. Let's say various considerations of a rigid and paranoid nature. And Macron must be a psychologist. Well, it's his it's his a it's some guy we don't know. Some yeah. guy who knows Macron. Macron said, uh, but but paranoid, paranoid. OK, so you're saying that then like here's an like they called Trump. Yes. And, and a germaphobe. So here's another thing. But I, I actually think there's a little wrinkle in this, too. It says the Kremlin strict health protocols also set a tone. Mr. Macron was told that if he wants to shake Mr. Putin's hand or sit next to him, he needed to arrive seven hours early and get a PCR test with with Putin's doctor, not his own. And I actually wonder if Putin thinks they might try to assassinate him with a bioweapon. Maybe. Called COVID. Yeah, maybe. Like, That's I'm serious, because I wonder if this this is all seeming real to me. So I'm thinking that they would probably prefer to assassinate him. I mean, that might be a little obvious. OK, so that was that. He's a megalomaniac expansionist who wants to take over all of Ukraine is another thing that was quoted in the journal today. U.S. officials say they believe the troops, warplanes and missile systems on Ukraine's eastern borders are poised for a full fledged takeover of the country. So that's so you're completely separating it from what Putin explains as a legitimate concern. And then the last uh, the last article was. Here's the headline. Pro-Russian infiltrators are ready to pounce should all-out war begin. Kiev has spent eight years purging its army and intelligence agencies of potential turncoats, but many remain. Now, now a week ago, I explained to you, or a month ago, I explained to you this exact phenomenon, but not in those terms, which is this. They've got Poroshenko on trial for corruption. They have a call... That's much more damning than the Trump Zelensky's call on quid pro quo. We have Biden's admission to the same. Poroshenko's corruption and all of the corruption in Ukraine is bound to reflect poorly on Biden. Why do they continue it? I said from the beginning, it's because at no time did the coup fully absorb all of the people in Ukraine, which is probably why they had to give them this created person, Zelensky, servant of the people, literally the name of his comedy show (laughs) where a high school teacher became president. And then he, the comedian who played it, the actor became president. They gave them this guy. His ratings were huge in the beginning. He ran on an anti-corruption platform and then they plummeted because they haven't gotten the hearts and minds of the people or the legislature in totalities. They, they probably have a majority because they do that section wants East. Anyway, so it goes on and on about a Russian intelligence network there that they're and John Herbst. I don't think I got into this when I deep dived Zelensky, but John Herbst is from the Atlantic Council and he was uh, he announced Zelensky's 
rise to power or acceptance into the Atlanta Council, something like that. It came up in my research previously. But he said the Ukrainians have been pretty good in rooting these Russian operatives out. Uh, And the evidence for this is the failure of the Russians to launch a serious diversion effort, even though they have tried. Now, he's saying they've been trying to overthrow the country. I think this is what he's saying. And they haven't been able to succeed. But that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of Russian operatives. This is exactly what every president in the United States has ever said about anyone who objects to their wars. They put them in jail. They call them spies. They call them Germans. They call them Russians. They put journalists in jail. This is the exact same thing. Anyone who doesn't agree with the U.S.-led coup in that country is considered uh, a Russian operative and spy. And in a lot of places, that's treason. And treason, in this country anyway, is a capital offense. Yes, it is. That's it's very interesting that it's almost like an episode of 24 when you were talking about the assassination attempt. It made me think of an episode where they do a handshake with one of the presidents and he immediately falls ill. No way. Yes. Yeah, Maybe like he watched that. years ago. So many... There's so much crossover between plots. Yeah, I know. It really is. All right. So I have a fact check that's a pretty interesting fact check here. And the headline of this fact check is debunking a totally nuts conspiracy theory about U.N. troops in Canada. Totally nuts. (laughs) Okay. From MSN. They say the Canadian city of North Bay was trending earlier this week. And it was trending about something that this article calls a frankly ridiculous conspiracy theory about a United Nations plane, Justin Trudeau, and the Freedom Convoy protest that police officers had just cleared out in Ottawa. So that's what it's about. And what the fact check alludes to is that people on social media were speculating last week that officers seen in green uniforms during the police operation to clear Ottawa, the Ottawa protest, could be UN troops that Trudeau had authorized to enter the country. Though the journalists on the scene apparently had noted that they were actually officers from the provincial police. Is that what it is? Provincial? Yes, yes. Those police in the nearby neighborhood. Or provisional. No, it's not provisional. Provincial. Provincial means of the province. Yes, of the province. Like state police or... Yeah. And the woman tweeted this out on social media accounts, said she spotted a plane marked UN parked at the North Bay. And there is a UN plane there because there is a cooperation that they have. There's a passenger plane at the North Bay is owned by the North Bay Company, and it flies and performs maintenance on aircraft used by the UN. So planes with UN markings are frequently spotted at the North Bay facility. So there is commonly planes there, apparently. But this article... It paints the people who were promoting this theory as anti-vax, anti-mask, QAnon-type people, horrible people. This is such a crazy, crazy conspiracy that UN forces would be brought in by the prime minister. To which I would ask, is that such a crazy conspiracy theory? Because we deconstructed a video on Rockfin of a CFR panel discussion hosted by the head of CNN Standards, Calvin Sims, and he asked a question to a former CIA agent who was a plant in in Facebook's disinformation, misinformation group where they determine political whatever. censorship. Yeah. And division. they taught the the whole discussion was about how online misinformation causes offline harm and what needs to be done about it. 
And the head of CNN posed this question to her, asking if they were going to need to bring in UN forces to stop QAnon-like groups. I mean, this is a clip that we played. And what did she say? Deconstruct. What did the CIA She was very say? slippery about her answer. She did really? not answer it directly. She didn't confirm it. She didn't say that they would not do it. She answered other questions instead of taking that one head on. So if they're asking that question and then not saying no to it during a CFR panel discussion, I would say this is not such a crazy conspiracy theory that this might happen. And these extraordinary emergency powers that they called into being – there may be, we don't know the nuances of Canadian law, there may be in right. the UN Charter that if you have a national emergency at the federal capital, there's no higher authority, you got to go to the UN. I mean, I don't know. I've never heard of that, but it's it's certainly, I could see when, who was that guy? Um, he was the Secretary of Defense under Obama. Uh, anyway, he said, and I remember that, Jeff Sessions stood up to him. He said, well, we went through the legitimate authorities to approve our invasion of Libya uh, by asking the U.N. And Jeff Sessions went friggin bananas and said, that's not how that's not who we ask for permission. But there are people in our government who think U.N. is the higher authority than our own Senate. Yeah. And I think if we're going to see it, we're going to see it in Canada first before we would see it. over. Oh, yeah. And. And I'm not, oh, I really wanted to talk a little bit about that. We should talk about that in the XR. I've got, I really want to talk about how Canada is really emerging and some of these other English speaking countries are emerging in the news a lot. But I wanted to just say with your debunkery and like, you're crazy if you think that. Did you hear today on the news about the guys who were saying, or the people, I think men and women, were saying that they, outside the White House, were, or near the White House, were experiencing piercing headaches, heard chirping sounds, that all of this was reflective of the Havana syndrome, yeah. and they're investigating. Okay, those people are nut jobs, right? What if I said that? What if you said that? What if Aaron Alexis, who supposedly did the Navy Yard shooting, did that? What if a targeted individual said that? They're targeted individuals, were they not? Apparently. What if- what if one of these people, these agents who's feeling that said, oh, and there might be U.N. planes in Canada, then they're a total nut job. Well, that's the thing is that you can say you can say crisis actor. Uh, you know, they're really taking this whole take authority at face of value issue. It's like a phishing scam. Yeah. You know, this and like the Pentagon guy who was saying, well, we're we're telling you that Russia is going to have crisis actors and the AP guy saying that was crazy. I think the Pentagon, I we have noticed this for years. We've been talking how the mainstream media won't won't resort to evidence or sources, even if they exist. They absolutely do want to get you unused to expecting evidence and sources and rather only accepting everything authorities say. So they will put things side by side that sound crazy, equally crazy or equally sane. And if the authority is the one who said it, that gets a benefit of the doubt. And if the non-authority didn't said it, then that is assumed to be crazy. Right. Not even wrong, but crazy. Yeah. This woman asked the same question that the head of CNN standards asked at a Council on Foreign Relations panel discussion, yet she is being framed as a conspiracy nut. Interesting. Yes, exactly. Wow. All right. Well, don't let me forget to talk about, pull on that thread, I should say, in the XR. But uh, we still have the deepest dive of the day. Before we get to the deepest dive of the day, where I will try to get to the bottom of the energy crisis of the 70s and see if we're headed towards that again. 
I also want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR, some of the stuff we already mentioned. I want to give you an update on the truly tragic and super sad death of Zoe Bethel and uh, more vaccine news underreported by the media. I'm, I think I've got some, some stuff to augment that story along with yours, Brad. But <laughs> uh, you get the reference. Yeah. So... <laughs> Was it fast times at Ridgemont High? I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. So anyway, um, and of course, before we get to all that, a big thanks to the sponsor of today's show. I actually want to give this a, a real heartfelt shout out to our friend Bill at Neighbors. Bill is, uh, I actually do not have... Um, I had been communicating him, with him yesterday about what's going on. His, I guess he's having trouble with his... Uh, lease and at his place and he has a really nice place I think uh, there's in a contractual dispute he's really working hard to just buy it outright but he's having problems so he might have to move and relocate he said wherever he ends up we will we will always be able to do our meetups at his place he will always continue to supply us with our feed and seed needs he's been a loyal supporter of this show he is one of the people who continues to make connections in atlanta and beyond uh he was at um he i think he also supports grimerica he's he's connected with propaganda report people to do some of those excursions and i just feel like this is the heart and soul of what we're doing and why we're here is to make connections with neighbors and nothing could be better for that than neighbors feed and seed so remain loyal we offer our thoughts and prayers for bill to uh, end up where he needs to be and for us to stay in contact with him so we know how to direct you but in the meanwhile he is still where he is at where we have had meetups and please continue to support neighbors feed and seed and also please continue to support us we are a week away from the end of our introductory offer on locals we have a rock bottom price on locals of five dollars a month and fifty dollars a year i don't even think we're going to have annual options going forward uh, but on march 1st the prices are going up to be more in line with everything else that we offer uh, you do still get all the xr material and an awesome thriving social scene and a couple of live streams so if you like the gpps you're gonna love it binkley and i kind of divide and conquer with a live stream each a month doing kind of similar stuff. I do a cocktail lesson, then proceed to drink the cocktail, and then things get a little crazy after that. But uh, so that's properport.locals.com. You might want to take advantage of that while last. You only have a week left to take advantage of that really low introductory offer. So with that, on to our last and deepest dive of the day. All right. So here's, uh, I always try to dive deep on something that I saw as in a headline today. So today's headline was that caught my attention. Russian escalation in Ukraine raises global economic risks. Possible interruptions related to further military action sanctions add one more challenge to a global supply chain already straining. 
So it says much later in the article that Russia and Ukraine have very little impact on kind of the global supply chain. It's just a ripple effect thing. So they might blame it on that, but that doesn't, they didn't make their case in that article as far as I'm concerned. Now, what case I do buy is that energy costs might go up if they don't resolve the issue with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which was going to double the gas going to Germany. Now, take that away. And if there are any kind of sanctions or interruption in gas supplies out of Russia, world energy prices are already going up. Now, the problem with that is we have an inflation problem. In the immortal words of Milton Friedman, inflation is always an everywhere monetary phenomenon. We have an inflation problem because the government is printing money. They're going to pull back on that. And at the same time, or they are pulling back on that, or at least flattening it out, raise interest rates because they claim that that will reduce inflation. And basically, uh, I mean, they just need to be <laughs> stop printing money. But Inflation and price increases are two different things, but the energy problem will increase prices because energy is probably the number one input in production. So if you're going to start raising the prices of things, people are going to consume less. And that coupled with the reduced purchasing power of the monetary phenomenon of the money printing will further reduce kind of our standards of living, reduce demand for actual products, and that will probably impact labor. So I don't know what their bigger picture plan is. They're really messing with the labor markets now. But if you have rising interest rates, rising energy prices, um, inflation in the monetary sense and reduced employment, you have 1970s style stagflation. And that's devastating. At the same time, if they are cutting off Russia and I don't know about China, but Russia in this case from international banking and Russia and China are doing energy deals, not in the U.S. dollar, you could have what looks like the end of the petrodollar or the end of the U.S. as a world reserve cu currency in a in the to the extent that it is now. And if that happens, you have a lot of dollars rushing back into the U.S. because they're not being used on the world market as much. That, again, exacerbates your inflation problem. And all of that makes imports, which we rely on, very, very expensive. That reduces your standard of living. Then you've got to start producing stuff at home, which is lag time. It could really actually be quite devastating. But what I thought was weird was that they twice in this article, it said... These are the quotes. Some economists say the worst case scenario could be a 1970s style crisis in which supplies of natural gas, oil and other raw materials are hampered at a time when demand from economies just emerging from pandemic lockdowns is soaring. Another person, another person quoted in that article says the broad implications are somewhat reminiscent of the 70s energy crisis. This was way later in the article. The UK's National Institute for Economic and Social Research said higher prices and supply limitations severely disrupted economic activity in the global economy and led to higher inflation. What nobody says is, do you even remember that there was an energy crisis in in the 70s, do you know anything about that? I mean, it's clearly before your time. That was, no, yes, I don't know anything about Okay. It. Everybody remembers, or the lore, whatever, the, the 
what happened was people had long lines at the pumps. And if you ask anybody who remembers that, I would say 99 out of 100 people will say OPEC, which was newly created around that time, throttled supply. So we had a gas shortage. That's not what happened at all. What happened was OPEC formed now that nobody talks about this but i think kissinger kind of plotted to have the petrodollar replace the gold standard as nixon basically illegally moved away from the gold standard so in order to absorb the inflation that we were about to impose on the world kissinger made sure that the oil producing countries used dollars and that absorbed some of our dollars into the global exchange system for oil now, OPEC formed coincidentally at that time, and they raised the prices. They were a cartel that set prices, and they made the price of oil go up. Now, the U.S. said, well, we're just going to cap the price of oil, which just meant that OPEC wasn't going to send the oil here because the rest of the world didn't cap the price of oil, and it, and it meant that we were then totally dependent on domestic supplies and that our domestic suppliers weren't uh, actually being paid very well for it. And that created a shortage in itself because it's true if you have a big bowl of oil, you're not going to suck on that straw when prices are low. Um, and and especially if they're artificially low. So if you have high prices, you end up having more supply enter the market because it's motivating. It's just supply and demand. It's easy. But they, they so what happened was there was, there was a shortage because of that. And people did have to wait on lines. They didn't have to pay the higher prices, but it ended up having a ripple effect for decades. It probably didn't really resolve for almost 20 years. There was boom bust cycle as they messed around with the policies and all of that. And I, if they're really saying that we're going to have a 70s style crisis, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of price and wage controls put in that would reflect the 70s. But what I really think is that this may mark the end of the petrodollar. And together with the banking stuff, maybe this is the catalyst that will lead to the paradigm shift of the dollar itself, get us into the digi-dollar. I mean, a $30 trillion debt is unsustainable in a rising rate environment. Like there has to be a change. And if they're starting to mess around, they talk a lot about the banking sanctions Maybe that will encourage people to go into crypto because they see like, especially with the Canadian truckers and stuff. I just think that that there's a lot of potential for a paradigm shift in how the money works and that it's going to be focused around an energy crisis. And crypto that side is going to be involved as well with all the activity around that going on in the world. Yes, I agree. We can get into a little bit more about that in the XR. I uh, have a couple of shout outs. All right. All right. I forgot to shout out Jared's birthday yesterday, and it was the coolest birthday ever. 02222022. So yeah. Was, happy birthday. I know. So happy birthday, Jared. Love Jared. And I uh, hope it was a great one. Hopefully he wasn't even listening to podcasts on his birthday. He was probably tearing it up. So also to <laughs> Suzanne, who wants to shout out Truth Smacks. Trail Mix with a message of truth on the back of every package. She also wants to thank us for all that we do. She loves the show. And I just, by coincidence, today and basically every day, 
I cannot resist. Truth Smacks are so ridiculously delicious. Seriously. Like, I like the message on the outside. It's fun and funny, and it kind of cures me from shopping at Whole Foods, which makes my brain hurt, because they have political messages on their stuff, too. But, you know, it's not it's not truth. Anyway, but these things are so natural and delicious. I really can't recommend them enough. That's sincere. That's not this is not a paid endorsement. Um, anyway, so that's it. That's all we got right now. And on, I guess, to the XR. All right, fantastic. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to the extra content that we post every day when we post a DMB, you can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report, rockfin.com slash propaganda report, and you can check out that Locals deal that we have going on that's wrapping up at propreport.locals.com. Check us out across platforms with different offerings on each of them. We will talk to you guys tomorrow or in the DMBXR. Have a fantastic rest of your day.